All right, let's learn, let's learn, let's learn. So good to see you all. Okay, Parshas Noach. One of the great things about Parshas Noach is it actually begins, it actually begins a few psukim at the end of Parshas Bracious. So what we want to do is we're going to learn a little bit of Bracious, the last few psukim from the previous Parsha, and then that will take us into the introduction of the opening psukim of our Parsha. I'm sure you are familiar with the opening psukim of our Parsha as we introduce ourselves. The Torah teaches us a little bit about Noach, but I want to share with you a few comments from the Maharal on the opening psukim. So let's, let's learn a few psukim, as I always like to do, and then we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into those, uh, those opening psukim. Flip back to page 26. Those of you who have your chumashim in front of you, page 26, these are the last five psukim of Parshas Bracious. These are very often not learned in depth for one very simple reason. Parshas Bracious has so much in it. It's so packed with creation, the story of Adam and Chava, the snake, the forbidden fruits. Then you have Cain and Hevel and the first murder in history. There's so much. Who has time to learn the last five verses at the very end? But it's actually an introduction into Parshas Noach. So let's, let's learn inside. We're going to read these, these few psukim. A lot to see here. And then that will segue into, uh, into uh, Parshas Noach. So we're verse um, five, Pasuk Hay. The very bottom of page 26. Vayar Hashem ki rabba ra'as ha'adam ba'aretz. Hashem looks out at this world that he's created and the previous psukim <coughs> described series of generations. So we're no longer just at the first few, few, excuse me, first few human beings alive. We now have communities. There are generations. The Torah lists many of them. You could look in the pre- previous first couple of uh, pages right above us. Many people living hundreds of years. And Hashem looks out, and even though when he originally created the world, he looks out and he sees that the world is good, but then mankind came along. Uh, and it wasn't, so, it wasn't so simple anymore. All of a sudden, man is here, and we got problems. We got all the frailties of mankind, and the jealousy, and the murder, and the cheating, and the stealing, and it all comes together, which is going to be the prelude to our flood. The flood of our Parsha, the famous flood, doesn't come out of nowhere. That mankind has to be completely destroyed and recreated, so to speak. And so that begins with our verse, Hashem looks out and he sees, Ki The wickedness of man is now great upon the land. Kolayom, a very powerful statement, and that the product of his thoughts are evil all day long. Meaning, it's not just that he's doing bad things. He's thinking. Yeah. It's that he's planning, scheming, thinking about that. Those are two different things. Sometimes as we deal with children, grandchildren, maybe can I know how to great-grandchildren. So somebody does something. So there's a difference, and there's terms of legal terms as well for all the lawyers out there. There's a difference between a child in a classroom or at home who has some impulsive behavior and does something, says something, maybe it's chutzpah it's inappropriate, whatever it may be. Okay, we've all seen how it works with children. There's a difference between that and when there is a plan. You know, when the child is in his room and he's like scheming, how am I going to do this? Totally different experiences. So Hashem looks out at the world and he doesn't just see that there's evil in the world. He sees, as the language is, Yetzir machshavos libo. 
the machshava of, the, of their hearts had become evil, had become bad. That's already a different story. Because this is leading us to a flood. Flood's a big deal. You flood out the whole world, we're going to destroy all of society. This is not a nothing. So the Torah introduces it. He saw that the machshavos libo were ra. Vayinochem Hashem. This is an unbelievable phrase. Vayinochem Hashem ki aso es ha'adam ba'aretz. Vayinochem means he regretted. Or as Archibald translates it as, you see how they translate it here? He reconsidered to a degree the creation of man. Vayis atzev alibo. It was... Again, the Torah uses the language as if Hashem anthropomorphic, as if Hashem had a heart, as if he had thoughts and feelings. It was saddened by, look at my creations. I created this whole world for you. I did all of this. Big hopes and dreams of what mankind could be and should be. And then I look out, and it's not at all working out that way. It's not that what it could or should be. By Yisat it was a sadness. Rashi makes an unbelievable comment. You're familiar with the word Vayinachem. Doesn't, here it's, doesn't the Chama come from... Ah, yes, I knew someone was going to point that out. The word Vayinachem here, when Hashem was Vayinachem, so it was Vayinachem on that which He made, so it's translated as either to regret, or as Art Scroll has it, as to reconsider. But what else is Nechama? Comfort. Comfort. We're very familiar with that phrase. Hamakom Yinachem. As we always speak about receiving comfort. Strange that we have that same word that He regretted, or He reconsidered, and he also received, but it's a word of comfort. So Rashi points out, where is there a comfort in this? So Rashi points out, he was comforted in that at least I only created mankind in the lower worlds and didn't bring him up here with me in the upper worlds. That's an interesting comment that Rashi makes. Meaning, man is destroying the lower worlds that I put him in charge of, but at least I get some comfort. He didn't ruin the upper world. I didn't, leave, I didn't let him up there. I gave him this body and this soul. He's this combination. And which, and which world did I put him in this combination? I put him in that world, our world that we occupy in. So there's a little bit of comfort in that. But the commentators also point out, let me just finish this thought again, that there's the word comfort comes from this root in which we see over here to reconsider or to, in, in that sometimes we get comforts when we're able to reconsider something. Where does sometimes comfort come from in this situation? As we see it, it's often, and often is, a, a travesty, it's terrible, it's a disaster. Where does comfort come from? Vayinachem, and a reconsidering, if one is able to, and it doesn't happen right away, as you all know from life experience, but over time, if one's able to see things from a different perspective, to be able to consider things differently, sometimes there's a little bit of comfort, but that's not our topic for today. Hashem is reconsidering, because man has been a disaster, and he's saddened. Now Rashi makes a comment here. Rashi says, the heretics pointed out in this verse, they complained to the sages of the Talmud, and they said, Hashem was saddened. Don't you believe the heretics said to the sages that God knows from the beginning everything that's going to happen? So what does it mean that he was saddened? Didn't he know when he made man that man was frail, man is going to have evil tendencies, man has a capacity for doing terrible things. Everything we have a capacity, we have the equal capacity to do for good. But we have this capacity, we've seen it in our lives, we've seen it in our, in our own lifetime, we've seen the capacity for the terrible things that man can do. Didn't God know all of that? The Torah makes it seem as if God looks out and is like, whoa, I can't believe this. 
So the sages responded, and the sages, Rashi Krotis, asked a particular heretic and said, do you have children? And the heretic said, yeah, I do. He says, are you aware that your child will die one day? And the heretic says, sure, I know that. So he says, doesn't that make you sad? So he said, well, yeah, in the times of joy, I'm joyous. And in times of sadness, I'll be sad. But I'm not going to give up on all the lifetime of experiences with my son that I have had because at some point I'm going to be sad. So the sages said back to the heretic, exactly. Hashem knew exactly what was going to happen. And he created us and enjoyed the good times. And he knew at a certain point it, it might end poorly. And when it does... He was saddened by that, that it happened. But that didn't mean that he didn't know it was going to happen. And this is our life experience. You know, anyone who's been involved in any relationship, there's a reality. This is something that we speak to, uh, we went through ourselves and our children and grandchildren as they're dating. Dating is sometimes brutal (laughs) At, at any stage of life, right? It's brutal. You have to be willing to invest involved in a relationship and that relationship might end. In the dating process, it might have before it ever became anything, but even if we're so privileged to get married and have relationships and have children and families, and then sometimes life ends those relationships, and it's very sad. That doesn't mean that we regret the time that we had. In the times of joy, we're joyous. We experience what we have when we experience it, and if life brings the sadness, we experience the sadness. The, the, the Rashi quotes, that was Hashem's own experience. He created mankind. He looked out at it, and he said, it's very good. And then man corrupted his ways. And God looked out and was very sad. This is news? No, it's not news. I, I knew, a, a person knows, standing under the chuppah, it should be God willing, 50, 60, 70 years later, it might end sad. It's true. But I'm, I'm not going to experience life until then. I'm not going to experience all the joy, all the privileges, the privilege, all, all these. Yeah. And that root, that concept is rooted in the very beginning in which God creates man and then is very saddened. In the very first, we're still in Precious, remember. We haven't yet hit Parshas Noach. We already have Ayis Atzev. It was sad in Hashem's heart that this is what it netted. And that didn't mean it, that, uh, that, it, that it wasn't supposed to be that way along uh, the way. But in any case, this ends poorly. So the Torah says, I have to destroy, wipe out man that I've created from... Uh, from the face of, uh, of the earth. Rashi, by the way, one other thing points out the sadness that Hashem had was in the loss. It wasn't, we, Hashem himself is, in, is an anthropomorphic concept of that emotion, the human emotion that we place on Hashem. Rashi concept, uh, explains that it was the sadness over all this loss that was about to come. Hashem says, again, continuing the Pasuk, I'm going to destroy everything from the animals until the, uh, the birds of the heavens, ki nichamti, ki asisa, that I regret. I have to reconsider having made them. Um, Rashi also points out here, so why the animals have to go? If, if mankind was corrupt, okay, so leave them alone, leave the animals alone. So we're going to, Rashi makes two comments. Number one, well, as we'll see in the beginning of Parshish Noah, it's possible that the animals also had corrupted their ways. But Rashi also makes a second comment, which is just a fundamental idea. He said, I, I created this whole world for man. I, this is here for you. Man, remind me to get back to this thought, but this is really still part of this. You know where mankind is created in the, in the six days? Is it in the very beginning, the middle, or the end? Where is mankind created? The end. Very end. The last thing created. So the Gemara asks, why should, it, why should that be? 
Why should it be that mankind is the very last thing that's created? So the Gemara gives a couple of answers. Number one, the Gemara says, because lest a human being ever say, I was a partner in creation. Meaning human beings sometimes think we're greater than we really are. So can you imagine what would have been if there had been anything created after man was created? Man would look at it and say, "Ah, I was part of this. I'm the reason why this is here. Yeah, 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 God and I, we have this deal together. So in order that mankind never be able to claim that we created anything, we were created at the very end. Everything else was done. That's the first answer the Gemara gives. Then the Gemara gives two other answers which go side by side, which are beautiful answers. The Gemara says, lest man ever puff out his chest and say, how great am I? We'll say to him, or her, the little gnat, the worms, the slugs, they were all created before you. You're not so great. That's what the Gemara says. So we are created last, so that if we ever get our heads filled with too much air and we think of ourselves as too great, don't think of yourself as so great. You weren't even created before the gnats. The slugs were here before you. And then the Gemara turns around and says, and we were created last because it should be that the table was set for us. In the same way the Gemara says, if you have a very important guest and you're excited for this guest to come, you can't wait for them to arrive. So how do you get your house ready? So everything is done in advance. The beds are made, the coffee's ready, the table is set, and when everything is ready, now the doorbell, okay, great. I usher them in. You want to have a hush of a guest. They come in and you're like, okay, your bed will be ready in 20 more minutes. I'm just finishing the wash. What? (laughs) Can you imagine that that's your important guest? You haven't finished making their beds when they show up? That's already like, you know, I, I've been in houses when that happened, both my own and others, and it's like, you know, they're running around, it's terrible. So Hashem said, the Gemara says, Hashem said to mankind, I created this whole world for you. It's here for every single thing that exists in the world is for you to fulfill the mission with which I've given you, and therefore you're created last so that you ushered right into a table that's set. It's Shabbos, it's ready-made, everything is here. You're the last thing, so I could bring you in and it's here for you. Think of those last two answers that the Gemara just gave, and they're, they're so classic. On the one hand, if you ever think of yourself as too great, just remember, the slugs came before you. But on the other hand, what should you think every day? This whole world is here for me. And that, is a Jewish approach to life. You have to have them both simultaneously. You are the most important thing ever created. But just don't ever think of yourself as so great. (laughs) And that's how we balance it. The slugs were here before me because I'm not so great, but I am. The world was created for me. And that's that's how we balance this this fine man. On that note, on that note, what was I in the middle saying that I told you you had to remind me to get back to? Ah, so why were the animals destroyed? in this flood that's about to come. So Rashi says, on the one hand, we're going to see there were approaches that they also corrupted their ways. On the other hand, the only reason why they existed was as a part of this world picture for mankind to fulfill their mission. If mankind failed and needed a restart, everything was, it was only there for you. And therefore, everything is restarted. And that, the whole world is here for mankind to fulfill its mission in serving Hashem. And therefore, it needed to go. And then the last Pasuk in Bereshis, Parshas Bereshis, V'noach matzachein Hashem. But Noach found chain. 
found a favor, grace, in the eyes of Hashem. What the Torah does not do, and we are not going to get too much into this year, Mitzvah Hashem, in future years we'll get into, is what does the Torah not tell us about this idea that Noah found favor in the eyes of Hashem? What do we not know about? How? How? Why? What did he do? And that does not appear in next week's parsha either, when, as we're about, in this week's parsha, really, we're about to flip the page. The Torah does not tell us what exactly Noah did to find that favor, and that's a big discussion, which is beyond, there's only so much we can cover in, uh, in, in one session. So we'll, we'll start with other ideas, but I'm just throwing that out there as an interesting question for discussion, that the Torah, the very end of Bresha says, Hashem looked out at the world and just saw an unmitigated disaster to the degree that he said it needs to go. Everything needs to go, except Noah found favor in Hashem's eyes. And as we'll see, we're now going to learn a little bit about Noah. Um, and we'll see. Okay, let's see what the Torah does have to tell us about Noah. Yes, I'm sorry. Why are these That's a fair question. Why the Torah specifically wanted, why Chazal, when they broke up the Parshas and the way that the Parshas were broken up, why one could have said, I would guess, if I just have to guess, this is just my guess off the top of my head based on your question, that the Chazal, when they wanted to set up the Parsha, did not want to begin a Parsha with what we just read of. Hashem looked out and saw that it was horrible. Instead, if you just start five sukkim later, we start with, here is Noah, here are his children, Noah was a, a tzaddik. And that's just a, a better place to start. But um, as often is the case, you know, we sometimes start in the middle of a story. So here you have to know to go back five sukkim to really see the... So let, let's go over, what do we know about Noah? So the Torah is going to give us a little bit of information about Noah. And uh, is described a little bit. So I can't say there's nothing that we know about him. We know that he found favor, and, and we're going to find that right now. Let's see. Here we go. Pasuk uh, test. So now we're on page 30. Ela told us Noah. So we were introduced to Noah at the end of last week's parasha, which we just read, that the world was corrupt. Hashem wants to destroy it, but Noah found favor. Ela told us Noah, and now we're told, here are the toldos. How would you translate the word toldos? These are the toldos of Noah. Excellent. So you can cheat on the left-hand side of your page. You have a chumash in front of you. These are the offspring of Noah. Toda means the generations, the progeny, the, the, the children of Noah. Noah ish tzaddik. Noah was a tzaddik. Noah was a righteous man. Tamim hayobedorosov. He was whole or perfect in his generation. And he walked with God. So we get three phrases. I mentioned, like, the Torah doesn't tell us a lot about Noah. We don't have stories about Noah like we do about Avram. But we have three phrases that do describe who Noah was. He was a tzaddik. He was a righteous person. He was tamim. He was whole or perfect. And he walked with Hashem. Excellent. So far, three things that we know about Noah. Let's read Romer Pasuk and then go back to address some questions in the text that we have in the Pasuk. Vayolad Noah shloshovanim. And Noah had... Um, three sons, es Shem, es Chom, v'es Yafas. His three sons, Shem, Chom, and Yafas. And then the Torah goes on to describe how the world had become corrupted. Vatisha The world was corrupt, as we read in the previous Pesukim. It was filled with Hamas, with robbery. We have two different ideas of a moral corruption. We have thievery. And Hashem looked out and decided that he was going to uh, destroy the world. And that leads us to the, this famous uh, flood. But let's go back over those first two verses, the first two Pesukim. These are the generations of children of Noah. You, I'm going to read them, but let me set it up with a question. There is a fundamental problem, a structural problem with these two psukim. Eile told us Noah. 
Here are the children, the generations of Noah. Noah ish tzaddik. He was a righteous person. He was whole or perfect in his generation. He walked with Hashem. And Noah had three sons. Shame, Cham, and Yafis. What's the problem? Where are the Toldos? Well, we, we, there are there. Where are they? In the second Pasuk. It's as if the Torah got distracted. Ela told us, Noah, here are the offspring or the children of Noah. What should have come in the next phrase? He had three children, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. And then you want to tell me about Noah, that he was righteous, that he was perfect, that he walked with Hashem, beautiful. But instead, what the Torah says is, here are the children of Noah. And then there's like a parenthesis or a break, a distraction. Oh, by the way, Noah was righteous, whole, walked with Hashem. And then I, oh yeah, I was in the middle of saying something. I was telling you about his children. So I tell you who his children are, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. This obviously was not lost on Rashi, that structurally there's a break. There's something inserted into what should have been a straightforward sentence. Here are Noah's children, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. And we get these descriptions about Noah's personality first. Rashi makes two comments that need to be uh, shared and addressed. The first thing that Rashi says is, once we mention Noah, it is actually a distraction. There are two ways that we're going to, you'll see, if we were to put um, punctuation into the Torah, there are two, Rashi's two comments gives us two different ways of punctuating this Pasuk. The first comment that Rashi makes is, yes, this was a distraction. It's as if the Torah got distracted. Ela told us Noah. Here are the generations. Noah. Did somebody just say Noah? Wow. When I hear the word Noah, I have to tell you what an amazing person he was. He was a tzaddik. He was righteous. Whole, perfect. Walk with Hashem. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, his children. And then I got back to it. This is a description Rashi says of the idea. Zecher, tzaddik, levracha. Now, I, take out of your minds the way we use that phrase today. Just translate it literally. Zecher tzaddik levracha means when you remember or mention a tzaddik, it should always be as a bracha, which Rashi understands it to mean when you mention a tzaddik's name, you should speak about his praises. Zecher tzaddik levracha. You just said, Ela told us Noah. I got a lot to say about Noah. He just mentioned his name. I have to tell you how great he was. And the Torah does. And then we get back to whatever we were talking about, which happens to be his children. That's Rashi's First comment. Since we mention his name, we say good things about him. Okay, the morale asks, let's just flush this out a little bit. The morale says, we don't see this every single time in Tanakh. Every single time the Torah says the name Avram, it says, Whoa, Avram Avinu, what a tzaddik. Every time you see the word Yitzchak, does the Torah take a break and say, Yitzchak, he sat and learned his whole life. And yeah, we don't do that. We don't find this anywhere else. It's true here, that's what happened. Hashem got distracted. He mentioned the name Noah and he said, I have to mention the tzaddik Lavracha. But why, why not anywhere else? So when else says this idea of Zecher, Tzadik, Levracha, it really only is when he's mentioned in the context of evil. When there's evil is the discussion, and then in the midst of darkness and bad, you say the name of a righteous person. So that's like bring the righteous person to light in the midst of darkness. Now I have to praise him, and express what he's brought to the world. But if I'm mentioning the tzaddik in the context of good, Hashem, the, the tzaddik is always, Hashem's presence is always around. It only is when Hashem's presence is, so to speak, squelched by wickedness, and then you mention the tzaddik that you have to mention his praises. But otherwise, 
The tzaddik is always with Hashem's presence. It doesn't require that. And that's why we don't mention, the stories of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are not ever in the context like we just find Noah. Noah is mentioned in the context of what we started with, the first five verses at the end of Parashat Bereshit. The world was horrible and dark and corrupted. You mention Noah's name in that. Zecher tzaddik levracha. You have to say a, a positive thing about the person. But under regular circumstances, there's always, a, there, these, these tzaddikim, it's like Hashem's presence is always around them. It doesn't require to the same degree. That's his explanation of that. Very nice. But what does this do for us? And then concludes, this is why, he says, we only, in our world, when do we say zeichet tzaddik levracha? When do we use that phrase? Only if the person has left this world. Technically speaking, why should that be? Every time we mention a tzaddik, it should be as a bracha. And when the tzaddik is in this world, their presence is always here. It doesn't have that contrast, and then they're always here. It's only when a person leaves this world that their presence is not here. Then we mention them. When you mention them in the place, so to speak, of the darkness of without them having been here, that's equivalent to mentioning Noah in the context of a terrible situation. There was darkness. I mentioned Noah. You mentioned the tzaddik. It should be as a bracha. So when a person's no longer here, then we suddenly bring them back. That's when we apply we, we, we say that phrase, his memory should be a blessing. When a person's alive as a tzaddik, their, their light is filling the world always right now with their presence. I don't have to mention as a bracha, they are a bracha. It's only when I don't have them. And that's why we today say the phrase, even though it's a Pasuk in Mishlei, it's a wonderful Pasuk, it should always be a bracha. But we only reference it to somebody who has left this world in the same way that Hashem only got distracted in regards to Noah in the midst of the darkness of the, of the travesty of the world that he was existing. A very interesting point. But in any case, according to Rashi's first comment, why is it that we mention his, his righteousness? Because Hashem, so to speak, got distracted. He mentioned the name Noah, and he said, now that I said Noah, I have to tell you something nice about him. And then Rashi says another thing. If you read this passage straight through, here are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a tzaddik. What does that sound like? Here, literally, if, if you didn't know anything in advance, here are the offspring of Noah. He was a tzaddik. What are the offspring of Noah? His righteousness. It says, if Rashi tells us a person has two type of progeny in this world. The type that we're familiar with, children. The person actually has children. Here are, here are my children, here are my offspring, here are my progeny. And my actions. These are the things that I've done. Which, Rashi comments, which one is the primary offspring of a person? So one might think it's their actual children. But if you read this Pasuk, which is the primary offspring that a person produces in this world? His deeds, his deeds, his actions. Because how do you see that? Here are the offspring of Noah. First, I tell you, he was righteous, he was whole, he walked with Hashem, and he had three children. Which one comes first? The fact that he was righteous and whole and perfect and walked with Hashem, and he happened to have had three children. His Iker, his primary tolda, his primary offspring, were his children. On this, the moral says, listen, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's one thing to say a nice idea and say that a person's actions or deeds are also considered. Oh, that's a nice idea. He has children and he produced things in this world. He did nice things. But Rashi uses the language, Iker told those same. The primary 
offspring, progeny, that a person leaves in this world are their children. That's primary. So the Morel says a, a fascinating insight. It really two, two parts to it. He says, number one, he says, the Gemara really says that when a person, when a child is born, there are three partners in the creation of the child. There's, of course, the mother and the father and Hashem. So if you were to divide that up, who contributes how, what, what percentage of each from a spiritual perspective when we say in the creation of a child? So how much does, does a, any one parent actually get? First of all, we all know that the mother does much more than the father. That goes without saying. So, but, so, so fa- let's talk from a father's perspective, which is the Torah's going to be Like, how much can a father then claim responsibility for the birth of this child? You got Hashem's part, portion, you got the, his wife's portion. Well, he's going to say, this, this is my child. Get out of here. This is your child. You're going to take credit for this? That morale says, that's why we can't say the Iker, the primary child, is going to be the man's? No way. It just, the numbers don't reflect that. But then he says something else, which is really what I want to share. When a, when a person is blessed to have a child, that child, as we all were, is separate and distinct from the parent. The parent may have produced this child, but once that child takes a breath of air, it's now an independent being. Obviously, his baby's not so independent, but they'll eventually become independent. And as we all know, as we all did ourselves, children do whatever they want. They don't listen to whatever and become whatever the parents want them to become, just like we didn't become whatever our parents necessarily wanted us to become. So when a, when a parent looks out and says, this is what I produced in this world, so to say that about a child and say, this is mine, it's true, this, you, you're the parent, you produced this child, but whatever the child became, did, what it did or didn't do, whatever the, whether the parent is over the moon ecstatic with what the child became or not as ecstatic with whether, but you know, the child did that. The child is its own independent being. But in the same way, but the parent, the human being themselves, we're all born, uh, as, are, as are the babies, uh, when we were born, as this empty canvas of potential, of talents, of strengths, of characteristics. We're blessed with uh, certain amounts of strength and health and wealth. And all the circumstances are going through, and as, as a new baby is, is born into this world, what's going to be? Right? It, it's, it's open. As we are that child now, and we then grow and develop, separate from our parents, of course guided by our parents, but separate from our parents, and we then become the person that we are capable of having become. We were given all the tools, and then we did it. We produced we developed, we worked hard, we were kind and generous and sensitive and benevolent. That is, in the Maral's language, I'm going to read this phrase because it's, the most, it's a, such a powerful, beautiful phrase. When we do that, and the ma'asim tova, the things that we do, there is no offspring greater than that when we literally become the person capable of what we were capable of becoming, that is offspring, the ein ve'ke'ilu molid atzmo. It's as if you're giving birth to yourself. Think about that phrase. We were all born of mother and father. They gave birth to us. Our mothers gave birth to us. And then this little baby that they held, 
we all grew and developed. And as we do so, and then we become whoever we became. Ki'ilu molid atzmo. There are two births that we go through in life. The physical birth that gave us life, and then the birth, and that was done by our mothers, and then the birthing of becoming the people we can become. We did that. No, but no one else can do that for us. That can't be done to you. That can only be done by you. Excellent. That second birth, I birthed myself, is a process which begins at physical birth and does not end until after 120. That process is a process of literally birthing the people that we can become. And there's no greater offspring than literally producing ourselves. That's the way the... Where does the Maral see this idea? In that comment. Eile toldos Noach. Here are the offspring, the generation, the children of Noach. What's the next phrase? Noach ish tzadik. That is the greatest tolda, the greatest offspring, the greatest in, um, bequeathing that Noach gave to the world. What legacy did he leave? That he was a tzaddik, and that's our, And he had three children. What became of those children? Whatever became of them. But how much credit is Noah got? They became themselves. So again, as parents, we have influence. But, but just, for our, just like our own self, we become who we become. And that is the most magnificent lesson. This idea that the Iker told us, the primary progeny, the primary offspring that we leave this world is the actions, the deeds, the way that we lived is exactly what, uh, what we do. And we see that from... Uh, from this phrase. We have time for another thought. Where are we holding here already? Oh, it's later already. Okay, I'm sorry, because I've started a few minutes late. So we'll leave it with that, and Mr. Shem will continue in the uh, future. So many of these parshas abrasions are just chock full of beautiful lessons and, uh, and understandings. Um, spoiler alert, the whole world isn't destroyed. There are eight people who survive. So, um, so Noah uh, and his three sons and all of their wives uh, do survive, and we'll pick up with uh, what happens from that. So we're ready. We'll, by next week, we'll be talking about Avram. Um, as we continue, have a wonderful day and great to see you all as always.